This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have another classic food stuff episode for you. That's right, vintage food stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is about tofu. It is. I I have a personal update. Oh, yeah? Which is I have started cooking with tofu a lot more recently. Oh, yeah? And I am currently experiencing, uh, a, a, well, I was going to say love affair. I guess love affair uh-huh. with tofu. Yeah? Is it because of this episode that we did back uh, in 2017? Yes. Like you? The power of this episode and tempeh. Oh. Oof. Wow. Really, really changed my my game in the kitchen. That's great. Mm-hmm. What 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 new way are are you using tofu? Do you want to tell us about it? It's very boring, and everyone <laughs> out there will be like, Ugh. but it's the same with tempeh. Though I pretty much just I um, get paper towels and put my cast iron skillets, and I get out all the liquid, uh-huh. and then I use some soy sauce, some olive oil, garlic, and salt and pepper. And it's a cubit, if that wasn't that wasn't clear. So a cubit, and then I just um, put a little bit of cornstarch or arrowroot, and uh, bake it, and it becomes super crispy and lovely. Oh wow! Oh yeah! It's simple, but mm. oh, that sounds so good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I put sesame seeds on there. Oh yeah! Sometimes I put lime. Oh Sometimes my! Sometimes both. What? <laughs> That's okay. All mm-hmm. right. 
Oh, coming back from that one. (laughs) I appreciate your enthusiastic (laughs) response to my very (laughs) simple but delightful recipe. No, no. A a good crispy tofu is one of – because it gets all all soft on the inside and then Mm. crispy on the outside. And you feel like you're doing something just okay for your body. Um, More on that in this episode. Yes. You'll have to listen. You Um, will. You 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 will you will, you have to you, <laughs> you must. must or you'll never know the truth about tofu. <laughs> um, and I do have a national update uh, about tofu. Tofu sales in the United States have reached ninety one million dollars per year. Oh, mm-hmm. so on the rise. More along, people like me, along with uh, along with other plant based um, uh, meat alternatives. Yes, and I believe from my own anecdotal experience, I think. For a lot of my friends and myself, it has to do with um, the environment. Absolutely. Yeah, and more environmental awareness and wanting to yeah. minimize your impact where you can. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I do feel bad about uh, the way that many animals are treated in many parts of the meat industry. However, it's really, for me, more the environmental effects that make me try to switch out. Yeah, yeah. So I can, and I, I mean, also, Lauren, who knows? Maybe people heard this episode when it first came out in 2017, <laughs> and we're behind this bump. We can't, we can't know for certain. We certainly cannot. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. Uh, so we will let former Annie and Lauren take it away. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today, for all of our vegetarian friends and frenemies, and also for every single one of you who wrote in with a listener request, we're talking about tofu. Yes. Well, tofu is, is, is a little bit more specific. Like, people were like, hey, you guys just talked about an organ meat for like an hour. Uh, could, could you talk about something vegetarian? <laughs> and we were like, yeah. Yeah, totally. We, we absolutely will do that. We'd love to. I like a vegetable. Yeah, I do too. Oh, I love vegetables. Yeah. You like tofu? I love tofu. I do too. Uh, especially when it's deep fried, at which point <laughs> it's, you know, not necessarily a health food anymore. But, right. But I've always liked the taste and texture of tofu. Uh, my mom actually started me out eating it when I was maybe like five or six. Um, she was kind of a crazy hippie. And oh, Wow. <laughs> My family was the opposite. We were not allowed to have tofu in my house. What? Oh, my, my goodness. My dad hated it wow. so much. But I had this, like, really amazing tofu when I was in China, which makes sense. And I've been trying to recreate it ever since. I think it actually might have been um, the dried skin, like tofu skin. Okay. W- what was the dish like? It was, like, it was served in a spiral, um, and it was thin noodles. Well, it looked like thin noodles, and... Um, I don't know if anybody remembers those bubble yum packages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like that, but it was tofu, <laughs> and it was, like, textured on the outside, and it was so good. Oh, man. It was so good, and I've tried and tried, and I, I got kind of close recently. Um, I'm still looking. If, <laughs> if any listener heroes are out there and know what I'm talking about, that would be. Yeah, yeah, if you have a recipe, send it on in. Uh, so, tofu, what is it? Um, tofu, or dofu in Chinese pinyin, is coagulated soy milk that's pressed into blocks. And we will do a whole other episodes on uh, soy and or soy milk, probably, because they are kind of big topics. Yeah, pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes almonds or black beans are used in place of soybeans. I can't say I've personally seen this, but 
But but yeah, tr- traditionally it's a it's soybeans. Yes, the literal translation of tofu is bean curd, but uh, it's a Japanese word. Yes, mm-hmm. um, it also goes by the equally appetizing bean cheese or bean curd cheese, which is actually a super good scientific description for it. Mm. Um, but does not sound tasty. No, it doesn't. Bean cheese. Mm. Mm. It can come in two main types. Fresh, which can be like soft or silken, extra soft, firm or extra firm, which sounds like mattresses now that I'm saying it aloud. (laughs) Mattress descriptors. Yes. Or it can come uh, processed, which includes pickled, fermented, which you might know as stinky tofu, Mm -hmm. um, dried, frozen, or fried. And then there's also like byproducts such as tofu skins, soy pulp, tofu burgers, tofu hot dogs, tofu noodles, tofu cheese, tofu cream cheese, tofu ice cream. You you've seen the aisles, I'm sure. Oh yes. Well, aisles might be a lot, but 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 well, items on multiple aisles. Yes, <laughs> they're pervasive. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. throughout the store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And retail of tofu in the United States made $274 million as of 2014. There are some 245,000 manufacturers competing in the tofu industry, the largest ones in Japan producing about 50 tons per day. Wow. That is a lot of tofu. I can't conceive of that much tofu. I'm Mm. like looking at the size of this room and going way more than this room. And that's about all all my imagination has for you today. (laughs) It's a popular vegetarian cuisine, as you probably knew, Um, in part because it's pretty low-key flavor-wise, so you can customize it. It can be savory or sweet or anything in between that. Also can be used in smoothies. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty low-calorie, low-fat, but high in iron and protein. Depending on the thing you use for coagulating, like calcium or magnesium sulfate, it can also be high in Either of those things. Yes, calcium or magnesium. Right. Sure. Um, But speaking of coagulants, let's talk a little bit about those things and how tofu is made. Yes, let's talk about that. So all you really need in order to make tofu is uh, soybeans and water that have been made into soy milk plus a coagulant. And traditionally speaking, that coagulant is nigari, which is an extract of salty seawater. You evaporate that brine to let the sodium chloride, the table salt, crystallize, then take that out, leaving you with what's essentially a liquid solution of uh, magnesium chloride, calcium chloride, and maybe a few other mineral salts. Um, You can also evaporate this to get a powdered form if you so desire, and some people do. These and other agents that are used as coagulants, like um, like like acids or enzymes, work on the soy milk in the same way that various coagulants work on regular milk in order to make it clump up into yogurt or cheese or etc. You can see our yogurt episode for a full description of this, but essentially here's what's going on. So soy milk is an emulsion of proteins and fats in water. An emulsion means that these molecules are negatively charged, uh, which means they're kind of keeping each other at arm's length. You know, they're they're giving each other space. Yeah. And the coagulant works by acidifying the soy milk just enough to change the molecular charge of the protein and fat molecules within. Suddenly, they're all like, like, come in for a hug, buddy. How you doing? <laughs> um, and they clump up, thus creating solid curds of protein and fat and liquid whey, which is uh, water and some water-soluble proteins. In these our modern times, most large-scale manufacturers skip the sea brine and just use straight magnesium chloride or uh, calcium sulfate, a.k.a. gypsum. 
uh, because they might be making like 3.5 to 50 tons of tofu per day, Ooh. at which point, you know, you're, you're looking to streamline. Yeah. Um, and nigari being a natural product varies in its chemical composition. Mm-hmm. So the second half of this equation is the soy milk. Uh, to get soy milk, a factory will usually purchase dried soybeans because they're cheaper to work with than fresh due to the shipping weight and refrigeration costs and possibility of spoilage that you get with fresh soybeans. And, and the basic process of making this into soy milk goes as such. Um, you rehydrate your dried soybeans by soaking them for a few hours, then mash slash puree them along with some water to form a slurry. That is the industry term, slurry. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you heat that slurry to relax some of the soy proteins within it, then uh, separate out the solid bean pulp from the liquid soy milk. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there are so, so many ways in which to accomplish this. And a huge amount of industrial research goes into the best and or cheapest ways. How the soybeans are treated in making soy milk for tofu will hugely impact the, the flavor, like beany or funky versus kind of neutral, the, the color, yellowed versus a kind of pure white, um, and the texture, kind of grainy versus smooth and silken. Mm-hmm. So do you haul the beans before grinding? Do you use traditional Japanese stone grinders or something a little bit more modern, although probably also Japanese? Do you separate the solids from the liquids prior to heating or afterwards? Do you concentrate the soy milk after it's separated and before it's coagulated? If you ever want a rabbit hole of food production techniques, tofu is so happy to provide. So many questions. (laughs) So much research to do. Oh, yes. But once you've got your soy milk, however you so choose to do it, you let your coagulant uh, make some soy curds. At that point, if you're going for very soft or silken tofu, you're, you're pretty much done. If you're going for firmer tofu, you press the curds to remove as much whey as you so choose. And um, tofu is packaged along with some of that whey to keep it moist and fresh. Oh. So that's why I always have the liquid stuff Always in has there. a liquid, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could pour that off and, I don't know, like drink it or use it in cooking or whatever you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Add some protein. Yeah. I have to say, I thought there'd be more ingredients in tofu, and I don't know why I thought that, but uh, <laughs> apparently it's, you can make it yourself, and it's, I personally wouldn't say easy, but definitely within like, the realm of doing. Sure, like 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 labor-intensive, perhaps. Yeah, and I just don't have things, like you need a cheesecloth and some kitchen weights, and I don't have these things, but... We can get you some cheesecloth, Annie. Could you? We can get you some cheesecloth by, by four o'clock. Oh, Okay, okay, okay. That's exciting. Oh, okay, okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, I was going to go into, like, how to make it, but it's pretty much the same as uh, what Lauren just discussed, but on a much smaller kitchen scale. Yes. And you can look up the recipes. There's so many recipes online. You, you Basically, you make your own soy milk, and then you, you, you put in a coagulant and just wait for it to, to firm up with some weights. And, and, you know, just, just yeah, p- press it. You know, I mean, again, it depends on what you want to do. You, yeah. can, you can make silky tofu. You can make firm tofu. It's a little bit more intensive than, than yogurt and then it's slightly more than stirring because there are beans involved. Yeah. But, but it's really the same principle. Pretty much. Which I had literally no idea about before we did the research for this episode. I know. It's just one of those things that never occurred to me to try to make my own tofu. Right. But it sounds um, like it can be finicky, but uh, the rewards are great. Yes. If you succeed. So for all of those 
kitchen adventurers out there. Yeah. Why don't you give it a try? Yeah. If you make your own, let us know. Let us know how it's different from store brand tofu. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the what is it portion. Um, Let's uh, talk about some history. But first, a break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So tofu, despite being known by its Japanese name, most likely originated in China, 
Sometime around 206 to 220 BCE. That's the Han Dynasty, if you're more familiar with the dynastic version of timekeeping in China. Yes. And this is the production of it. Right. Probably originated there then. It was probably discovered much earlier by accident, as a lot of these fermenty type things are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A popular story goes that around this time, a chef living in northern China was testing out ways to spice up the popular dish of soybean soup by adding some unrefined sea salt Mm -hmm. that had some naturally occurring coagulating nigari. But to his surprise, not to ours, uh, it curdled into this gel tofu-like thing that people loved. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. And sort of a fun spinoff of this story goes that a man was trying to fix something for his parents who had lost their teeth. Oh. And they could only eat soft food, so he pureed some cooked soybeans. Mm-hmm. But the parents did a spit take after trying it. <laughs> saying that there were too many solid bits of bean in there. So the son tried again, and he passed the soup through some mesh, but that still didn't satisfy the parents who thought it had no flavor, no oomph. So he's on his last leg, and he reheated the mixture and added some salt, and then he let it cool, and it formed the tofu-like jelly that was probably tofu-ish. And um, (laughs) finally, his parents were not only satisfied, but very satisfied. There you go. Uh, Another legend tells the tale of Lord Lu An, a prince of the Han Dynasty. And according to this, he invented tofu in around 164 BCE. Okay. Yeah, this fellow was on the hunt for an immortality elixir. Ah. So he ventured alone off into the mountains to create this potion. Um, but alas, he wasn't successful. Oh, and that we know of. Oh. Ooh. Hey. Oh, a whole tangent could happen right now, but it won't. Either uh, way. <laughs> his experiments did leave behind a soft white substance, which he got the peasants to try, of course, because, you know, could have been poison. Yeah. He, he didn't want to die. Sure. But they declared it delicious and non-poisonous. <laughs> Um, and this newly discovered non-immortality elixir was named tofu. Or probably dofu. Yes. but Yes, exactly. However, this story didn't pop up until about a thousand years after it was supposed to have happened. Ah. So historians think it's probably not true. Uh, and this is sort of a thing that uh, sometimes in history a popular invention story goes to a popular historical figure. Sure. Apparently. It's all, I mean, it's, I, I like the immortality. Uh, oh, sure. Angle. That's nice. Yeah. Another theory claims that the Chinese picked up milk curdling techniques from the Mongolians or the East Indians. Huh. Um, and the crux of this argument is pretty much words. The Chinese word dofu is very close to the Mongolian word rufu, which translates to spoiled or rotten milk. Huh. Yes. There's actually not that much evidence for any of those stories. Non-surprisingly, really. But those are like three popular origin Uh stories of tofu. Yeah. Since it was relatively simple and cheap to produce, however it originated, uh, it became a favorite delicacy throughout China. There are descriptions found in writings and poetry from the Song and Yuan Dynasty, which is um, 960 to 1279 CE and 1271 to 1368 CE, respectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they indicate that tofu production was by the most part standardized by these times. Mm-hmm. Su Dongpo, 
a poet during the Song Dynasty purportedly was inspired by his love of tofu to invent the aptly named dish, dongpo tofu. Mm. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, it was also used in traditional medicine to do things like clean your spleen and replenish your chi. Huh. Mm-hmm. Spleen cleaning. <laughs> I could use a good spleen cleaning, I'm sure. Very spleeny. <laughs> Ninth-century Buddhist monks, who were big fans of tofu because they thought the vegetarian diet was better for the spirit, introduced the soya plant to Japan and Korea, although they could have been in either of those places or both of those places for much longer. Uh, probably wherever you were making soy milk happen. Yeah. But or or making ground soy soup products. <laughs> I thought for At first I thought you were saying like, from the ground, ground oh. soy soup. Oh, ground uh, I, soy. Now I understand. As opposed to air soy or fire yes, soy. Yes, so I was like, ooh, with our <laughs> powers combined. <laughs> Tofu was first mentioned in a 950 CE document by Tao Ku, Tofu the word that is. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, people in China gave Tofu the nickname Vice Mayor's Mutton because of the story of this guy that was too <laughs> poor to afford mutton. So he bought tofu instead. But I'm pretty sure the point of that story was actually frugality was a virtuous thing. So oh, he was doing a, th a good thing. Yeah. Not, 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 like a, not like Welsh rabbit, which is just making fun of a number of levels of. Right. Okay. I think it was positive. Like, Suffice good on button. him. Yeah. He's, he's making do. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> the first written record of a tofu dish served in Japan describes an offering served in 1183 CE at the Kasuga Shrine. And the upper class of Japan, they adopted tofu fairly quickly. And it was widely enjoyed by the 1400s. A Japanese book published during the Edo period, which was 1603 to 1867, had over 100 oh tofu goodness. recipes in it. Yeah. Um, and part of that was probably related to the rise in acceptance of Buddhism. If we go back over to China during the Qing Dynasty, um, which was 1644 to 1911, Emperor Kanxi uh, reportedly gave his high officials locally and strongly flavored tofu in place of jade or gold or wow. the like while on an inspection tour of southern China. I, I can't imagine inspecting jade and getting tofu. And getting tofu? I can't say I'd be upset necessarily. Depends on how good the tofu was. And how hungry I was at that current yes. moment. Yes. But I just love that. Well, I know I'll get them tofu. <laughs> be perfect. At the time, tofu was mostly made in small shops using um, similar methods in both China and Japan all the way up until the 1960s. Oh, wow. Yes. And then the Japanese Food Research Institute made a set of recommendations aimed at standardizing and modernizing tofu, including things like using calcium sulfate as the thickener instead of nigari, and using pressure cookers, hydraulic presses, centrifuges, instead of doing everything manually. And as you'd guess, the recommendations succeeded in speeding up tofu production. Ah, but what effect did it have on the tofu? Exactly. Some tofu producers refused to adopt it, thinking it negatively impacted the flavor, and they still do everything by hand. Oh, it's beautiful. I know. I want to do a taste test. I do, too. I want to know if you can taste, like, any difference. I, I imagine you I imagine you probably could. can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would hope so, and I would guess so. Maybe one day, Lauren, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get a taste test. 
we'll know the truth. We'll have to go to Japan. We'll we'll just we'll Done. have to tell we'll have to tell our boss that it's necessary. Absolutely. He won't be able to argue, I'm sure. The believed first written English use of the word tofu, and it was spelled uh, with a W at this point. T-O-W-F-U. Mm-hmm. By an American was in a letter exchanged between Englishman James Flint and Benjamin Franklin. <gasps> yeah. In 1770. Benji, what you doing? He's okay. popping up in the tofu episode. Okay. Uh, Franklin had apparently been on the hunt for what he called Chinese cheese since reading about it in the writings of Domingo Fernandez Navarrete. His work, by the way, um, Domingo's work, was first published in 1665, and it was translated into English in 1704, which is the first known instance of tofu in an English-language document ah. written down. Ah, but, but not, okay. Right. Gotcha. Earlier in the 1600s, Captain John Saris wrote of his time in Japan and is thought to have been describing tofu with, Of cheese they have plenty, butter they have none, nor will they eat any milk because they hold it to be as blood, nor will they tame beast. So the cheese was probably tofu. Was probably tofu. Mm-hmm. Because without taming beasts, I'd, I'd imagine that it would be difficult to get yeah. milk for cheese. Yeah, and I thought I wanted to include that just because I thought it was interesting that uh, that kind of sounds like, yeah, vegetarianism or veganism. Yeah, because they won't have any milk, butter. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Interesting historical. Note. And also also I just love that there, there was just no concept of, of a uh, curdled product other than cheese. It yes. was like that's, that's what it uh, is. Yep. This is a cheese thing. It must be. It must be cheese. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the U.S., despite having soybeans since the 1700s, um, and they were made popular by Chinese immigrants during the gold rush ah, okay. uh-huh, of the 1800s. The first tofu company, by the way, opened in 1878 in San Francisco. Oh. Uh-huh. Tofu wasn't really that popular for a long time. There was a modest bump after soldiers returned from World War II, some of them with Asian cuisine and some with Asian spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of the 20th century, soybeans were predominantly grown as a cash crop to regenerate soil in between crops. Um, in between, like, more yeah. useful crops. Exactly. He- heavy scare quotes there. Yeah, They were very heavy. <laughs> um, also as food for livestock and to produce oil used in manufacturing or for culinary use. Especially as World War II started blocking the trade of other imported oils and fats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the 1950s, American soybean production nearly equaled Asian soybean production, and by the 1960s, the U.S. provided 75% of the world's supply. However, it wasn't until the 1970s that more mainstream stores started offering tofu in response to the growing popularity of global cuisines and also high meat costs, plus the rise of vegetarianism and just general health awareness. Tofu started to gain popularity, and today the U.S. is one of the world's largest soybean producers. Uh, I think it's like 80%. Oh, goodness. Mm Mm-hmm. But still, the U.S. consumes relatively low amounts of tofu compared to places like China, where tofu is a big part of their culture. Oh, yeah. There's all these beautiful legends <laughs> about it. I mean, other than that, those origin stories, right? Yeah. A popular one is about a poor but pretty lady <laughs> who is known as Bean Curd Beauty. What? Tofu Shisha. 
uh, which comes from a story about a woman named Shisha who was so beautiful, fish froze and sank to their deaths at the sight of her. Ooh. And thus her name came to mean beauty. So, yeah, being curd beauty. Wow, that's some, like, like Galadriel kind of, kind of stuff. That's intense. That's I an intense know. beauty. I can just imagine walking by a river and this fish dying. Did, <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't mean it. I can't go anywhere. I don't <laughs> Um, A man who sexually harasses a woman is said to be eating her tofu. Oh, yeah, I know. It sounds pretty dirty. Uh, Something to do with a beautiful tofu shopkeeper who men would keep coming to visit the shop less for the tofu and more for the woman. Oh, okay. I get it. Okay. That's not as dirty as it sounds. No. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> Excellent. Um, tofu is close to the Chinese word for luck, so it's a big part of Chinese Lunar New Year celebrations. Um, also, in certain parts of Chinese culture, it's considered bad luck to eat uh, meat on the Lunar New Year. So, um, right. so mm-hmm. soy um, substitutes would therefore be popular, I'm sure. Yeah. I also saw something about like a death ritual in China where um, you – bring tofu to graves because it's soft enough for the dead to chew. I could only find that in one place. So I was like, I don't know if this is is a thing. I don't know. If anyone else knows, write in. Yeah. Um, Mapo tofu translated means freckled woman. And it's supposedly named after the freckled woman who invented the dish and served it at a good price to loyal customers. I can say that when I was in China, I definitely... There were so many tofu options. Like, there was a dim sum place of tofu. What? Yeah. It was both dim sum and only tofu options. That's amazing. Yeah. And I remember the dessert being, uh, at the time, I was relatively new to tofu because, as I said, it was not a thing in my house growing up. When they were like, the dessert is also tofu. Oh, (laughs) no. I had some reservations, (laughs) but it was delicious. So that's a tofu history abridged. Yes. (laughs) Whirlwind. So now let's take a look at some science. Yeah, but first, let's take a quick look at a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
oldest girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So the science segment of this podcast <laughs> episode is going to deal largely with the uh, with the health mm-hmm. uh, of tofu, the healthfulness of tofu. But first, a really huge disclaimer. It's a huge one. It's gigantic, folks. Um, so humans, uh, scientists included, really like talking about soy food products. But whenever you see a headline about the the healthfulness or the lack thereof of soy Please do remember that soy food products is a ludicrously large bucket of stuff, like like an ocean-sized bucket, really. Um, because in addition to uh, to tofu and its variants, you've got straight up soybeans, as in like edamame. Um, you've got soy milk, soy soy protein that is created for the sake of protein, uh, soy protein that is manufactured um, for for food texture and kind of crept into all kinds of products that you don't even realize it's there, mm. and on and on and on. And each of these foods involve working with soybeans in different ways that change the nature of their constituent molecules. The the soy protein isolates, frequently used in mouse studies to determine soy's health effects, are going to interact with the body completely differently from if you just eat some fried tofu. Right. Speaking of fried tofu, Uh and it's going to sound real duh when I just say it out loud, (laughs) um, but any fats that you add during the cooking process of a soy product like tofu are also going to interact with your body. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Same thing as, uh, you know, sugars and salts and whatever. The nutritive properties of any single human food product are really hard to suss out because it's nigh on impossible to control human diet enough to create a really good, clean study. And on top of that, human bodies all digest and process food just a little bit differently. We're all different, y'all. We are. We are all unique snowflakes in a Mm. lovely, strange way. Um, (laughs) But okay. Let's talk about tofu and nutrition. Let's do it. Uh Uh-huh. 
As Annie said at the top of the show, tofu is relatively high in protein. It's kind of mid-range in fats and low in carbohydrates. That means that it's filling and also that it won't uh, spike or crash your blood sugar. Good times there. The fats that are in tofu are pretty good for you. They're mostly monounsaturated fatty acids, a.k.a. the stuff that's been shown to lower bad LDL cholesterol levels in your body. And tofu itself contains no cholesterol. It's a fairly high-quality protein, especially for not being an animal product, which means that it, uh, it contains relatively high amounts of all of the essential amino acids, which are the ones that our bodies cannot produce and thus that we have to get from foods. It is always best, especially when designing a vegetarian diet, to eat a variety of different foods that you can intake all the stuff that your body needs over the course of a day. Mm-hmm. Everything the body needs. Yes, and unfortunately we don't have that, that slurry of... of Matrix stuff. So, unfortunately, or unfortunately, <laughs> I, I think there's a debate to be had either way. <laughs> I guess you could just drink a whole lot of Soylent. Um, I, I don't actually recommend that either. Sorry, Soylent. <laughs> You're not. It's not terrible. It's it's quite fine. It's um, yes, eat, eat some eat eat some different vegetables. Is what I'm saying. Yes, uh, tofu still the good source of nutrients that Annie was saying. And uh, oh, speak, speaking of the nutrients in tofu, uh, it's best to buy it in opaque or semi-opaque containers because as with dairy products, exposure to light will degrade some of tofu, tofu's nutrients, um, such as omega-3 fatty acids. Though, uh, you know, I don't know, if your local Asian market makes it in-house and packages it in clear pint containers like mine does, you know, maybe try some of that sometime anyway. It's probably delicious. Probably. You're not losing a whole lot. But Lauren, you might be saying, does soy cause cancer? I was saying that. Were you? You were very no. quiet about it. Yeah. But, well, you know, thank you for playing along. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> eating, eating tofu will most likely not cause cancer, and it may actually help prevent certain kinds of it. Okay, so this is going to be one of my weird medical tangents, y'all. One of the things that soy products in general contain is particles called isoflavins, which are chemically similar to estrogens. They're similar enough that isoflavins can fit into some cellular receptors that were designed for estrogen in your body, like a skeleton key into a lock, okay? Thus, acting like estrogens in certain circumstances. For example, breast tissue cells contain estrogen receptors. And sometimes, when a little chunk of estrogen locks into one of those receptors, it causes a chain reaction that encourages cancerous tumor growth. This is the trigger of about 75% of breast cancers, um, though the full process is really super complex and researchers are still studying how and why it happens. But that's the basis of it. That's that first, first little stick in the, in the full long chain, long chain of how it does. However, uh, isoflavins can block it from happening because if isoflavins get to those receptors first, the estrogen has nowhere to go. It can't lock in and set off that tumorous reaction. Uh, isoflavins can also spur cells to produce a protein that binds to free roaming estrogen in your body, meaning that estrogen will have a hard time locking into any kind of receptors at all. And isoflavins can even prevent estrogen from forming in fat tissue in the first place, which is one of those cancer-causing kind of things. Research into a variety of soy products, not just tofu, has shown either no correlation with cancer or correlation with lower rates of cancer in humans. In mouse studies, however, <laughs> uh, two types of soy protein isolates have been linked to cancer. The, these are man-made extracts of soy proteins, and, and this type of stuff does not wind up in our food. But they are similar to the stuff that you can get in, uh, like, soy supplement pills. Uh -huh. um, so maybe don't take those. 
until more research is done. But tofu is fine on the cancer front. Also, these isoflavins have not been shown to affect hormone balances or hormone activity in dudes. So go forth and eat tofu. Yes. Without being worried about cancer or low sperm counts. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's what I love about food. Yeah. Sometimes you worry about low sperm counts. Sometimes. When you're discussing it. Food is so vital to, like, <laughs> so many things you just don't even... You don't even think about. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you might be thinking about, should I be worried about GMOs? <gasps> should I? No. Okay. Well, okay. Not in terms of nutrition. There is, and this is a strong statement, my friends, but I'm, but I'm prepared to make it, zero evidence that genetically modified food as a large and incredibly multitudinous category acts any differently in your body at all than conventional food. Hmm. Take a moment and let that sink in. Yeah, okay. The, the one squidgy area that I've read about is potential allergen concerns. There, there was a case in 1996 of um, tree nut allergic patients having reactions to GMO soy because the genetic bits that had been put into the soy had been taken from uh, Brazil nuts. Oh, okay. But since then, researchers and producers have gotten a lot more careful about allergens in that way. And even that, one squidgy little bit of concern is evidence that GMO foods act in your body exactly the way that regular foods do. Oh, yeah. That bit was an allergen, and it caused an allergic reaction. Not mysterious. Please do not be scared of eating GMO products merely because they're genetically modified. Seriously. Right. We, will, we will do a whole episode about this sometime, but that's, that's the takeaway. Mm-hmm. There is an environmentalist side here, though. Oh, is there? Mm-hmm. Because some genetic modifications are designed to make crops less bothered by, uh, by herbicides, uh-huh. which basically lets growers spray herbicides with wild abandon, <sighs> which is generally bad for the humans and other living things in the area. If you're concerned about those practices, do, you know, go out there and, and, and inform yourself. You know, do research about the specific growers of various GMO products and, uh, and make, your, make your consumer choices accordingly. But I'll say it again. Please don't be scared of eating GMO foods just because they're genetically modified. Right. Even though people weren't poking the inside of cells with the inside of other cells for the past few millennia, that's, that's the new thing. Um, we have been genetically modifying our food by more traditional uh, methods since we've been farming. Yeah. I mean, just be informed. Yeah. We're always a proponent of being informed, which makes sense, given oh, sure. what we're doing. <laughs> um, I have a friend who's, like, tangentially in this field, and she has very strong opinions on this, oh. as you would imagine. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, maybe maybe we could get her to, to come talk to us or something. Oh, yeah. she. <laughs> she'd talk she'd talk all right <laughs> talk your ear off <laughs> she sounds uh, this, usually when people say this it's sarcastically but I bet she's really fun at parties <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> she is <laughs> anyone who will talk GMOs with me at a like cocktail party automatically we should be friends right <laughs> oh but going back to the environmental thing uh, hey is tofu environmentally unfriendly man you're giving me all these frightening questions <laughs> Um, the, the answer is like, mm-hmm. okay, well, one of the arguments for vegetarian or largely vegetarian eating is the, 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 the impact of raising meat animals, right? Um, because, you know, 
the calories that you get from a steak, a lot more um, water and time and food product has gone into growing that steak than would go into growing an ear of corn or mm. a tofu or whatever it is that you're growing. A soybean, not a tofu. You don't just grow tofu. <laughs> oh, I like that image, plants. though. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, the meat's carbon footprint is really significant. Mm -hmm. Precisely how significant depends on a whole bunch of different factors and whether or not you're including them all at once. That's also a topic for a whole episode unto itself. So, you know, th that's an argument for, like, maybe replace some uh, some meat in some meals with some tofu. Like and meatless Mondays. Meatless Mondays, exactly, that kind of concept. However, in some countries, like, say, the United Kingdom, where most of your soy is being imported— the transport and manufacture of soy into tofu is also not really great, mm -hmm. carbon footprint-wise. <sighs> Sorry. Okay. All your faves are problematic. Okay. Well, be informed. We have to live by our own <laughs> our own motto. Yeah, yeah. Does does that does that clear everything up? Does that make everything just just perfectly muddy? The world is very complex. I think that's the takeaway that we can uh, that we can garner here. I believe that is all we have for you today on mm -hmm. tofu. I hope that uh, the vegetarians that this kind of makes up for sated you just a, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and of course, there are lots of other soy products. We touched on a few of them here and there, but I would love to do whole episodes about tempa or um, mm -hmm. all of the, or natto. Oh man, yeah, we probably will. Excellent. Yes, uh, but now it's time for listener mail. Yay! Yes. So Lindsay wrote in uh, in response to our gin and tonic episode, and she said, I just listened to the gin and tonic podcast. You spoke about the British government enacting laws to protect people from gin by making it more expensive, which in turn led to illegal and improperly distilled gin resulting in death, uh, reminiscent of our own war on drugs. This reminds me of Costa Rica and their Cacique Guaro. Costa Rica took a different approach when they were having a rise in deaths from improperly distilled moonshine liquor that was disproportionately affecting its poorest citizens. Their approach was to nationalize the production of garo, a uh, sugarcane-derived liquor, and keep it very inexpensive to undercut illegal operations. Obviously, you have to be a little bit skeptical when the state takes control of an industry, but this approach didn't incarcerate a vulnerable community like the war on drugs and stymied a public health crisis. Yeah, I never heard of that, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, and I went to the website, and it looks just like any old— Just like any stuff? Any old liquor website. Like, cool. <laughs> that's that's fascinating, though. That's a—I mean, good good on them. I I feel like most stories that you hear about that kind of thing don't, don't, end, don't well. end happily. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like, so thank you, Lindsay, for writing in. Definitely. Very interesting to hear about that. Emily wrote in about our pineapple episode— she had a lot of facts, but uh, a lot of pineapple-related facts, uh, <laughs> but this is one of them. My final pineapple thought came to me when you were talking about how expensive they were. I thought of the musical Cabaret. In the stage version of Cabaret, not the movie, the adorable grocer Herr Schultz gives his crush a pineapple in the song, It Couldn't Please Me More. In the song, she sings things like, oh, this gift is too extravagant, <laughs> and he keeps telling her that she's worth it. It culminates with him saying, if I could, I would fill your entire room with pineapples. <laughs> it's an adorable love song about how expensive pineapples were in 1930s Germany. That song is probably one of my favorites from the show. It really cements the love they have for one another. 
Anyway, enough of me rambling on about pineapples. Never enough. Never. But um, I, I, I think I've seen Cabaret before, and I think I just wrote that off as like some kind of weird reference I wasn't getting. Yeah, sure. I was just like, oh, you know, well, whatever. Yeah. I'm sure pineapples were hard to get in, like, Nazi Germany. Right. But, uh, yeah. But, like, but, but, right, but knowing the history of pineapples, I it makes know. it so much more poignant. I know. I appreciate it so much more now. So thank you for that, Emily. I, yeah. I had totally forgotten about that. <laughs> and thank you to everyone else who's written us in or sent us things. Um, you guys are just... We have so many cool stories. Please keep them coming. Yes, yes. Um, Give a mental high five to our uh, sound engineer, uh, Tristan McNeil. Mm -hmm. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. And that brings us to the end of this classic episode on tofu. Mm-hmm. We hope you learned a lot. Even if you've already heard it, maybe you were reminded yeah. or inspired. Oh, yeah. There was stuff that I did not remember writing about in that episode. It's true. So <laughs> It's really unfortunate how quickly some of that. Zoop. <laughs> yep. Zoop. I remember it was interesting. <laughs> One of the reasons we are doing this, these classics in the past couple weeks is because Lauren and I and our super producers are slash were in Hawaii. <laughs> yes, uh, we are there on assignment for Savor talking to uh, people from many segments of the food industry out there to talk, uh, yeah, to, to, to get an idea of what the, the science and history and culture of food on Oahu specifically um, is like. Yes, so keep an ear out for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or uh, check our social media feeds. Maybe this time I'll remember to post some things to social. I'm determined. I got kind of a, a stern, I won't say talking to, but a, <laughs> a firm suggestion, shall we say. <laughs> so I'm trying to be better as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, so keep an eye out for that on social media. And speaking of, well, before we get to that, though, you can also email us, which is kind of like, I guess social media. It's social. It's a social. And it's a medium. There we go. There we go. And that (laughs) exists at hello (laughs) at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. Yes, uh, that that, uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram thing. Uh, You can find us at saverpod. We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Mount Polo Park! Give me a 
dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss host of To Live and Die in L.A. And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.